Good morning. My name is Kevin Wells. <laughs> and it's good to be with you this morning at Wells Baptist Church. If you would, grab your Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is where we're going to be at this morning. It has been a while, and um, I, I joked with Nick last week, uh, I think it was last week, um, he was... Um, he was asking me when I wanted to get back in the pulpit, and I told him, I said, well, whenever you're going to let me. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know when you're going to let me. So uh, he said, well, take off. So I'm, I'm back in this week, and, but it excited, it, it's always exciting to me to, um, to have an opportunity to where I'm excited about getting back in the pulpit, and then the same way with him. So uh, I, I appreciate y'all letting us work together, and um, and I'm so thankful to see other men of God like Sean yesterday stepping up and just having a desire to preach. And you know, it, it, it hurts people like me. It, it hurts and it blesses us both because it hurts us because we want to be up there preaching. But, uh, but then at the same time, it blesses us because we're able to sit back and watch a young man grow in his faith and, uh, and proclaim the Word of God and did a fantastic job. And I'm, I'm so thankful that he's, he's a part of our ministry here in this church. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, let's stand together and read verses 6 through 18. Second Corinthians 4 beginning in verse 6, this is what it reads. It says, For God who said... Let light shine out of darkness. The same God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. We're perplexed but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we are not destroyed. We are always carrying in our bodies the death of Jesus Christ so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested or revealed in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Since then, pay attention to this. Since then we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written. And he's quoting a psalm here. The quote is this, I believed and so I spoke. That's what the psalmist said. I believed and so I spoke. We also believe. And so we also speak, and here's why we speak, knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction 
is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary or transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Be seated, please. And as you're seated, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we, we come to you right now because we just read your word. This is not another man speaking to us. This is your inspired word coming to us today the same way it did to Paul when he penned these words. Father, my prayer this morning is that you would open it up and bring life to us, God. Father, I pray that, um, Lord, you would help us to be able to see what you have done for us in the life and, and, and the news of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that, Lord, it causes us to examine ourselves to see whether we truly believe or not. Father, your thanksgiving is at stake here. Thanksgiving to your glory, praise to your name is at stake in this. And Father, I truly believe that if we don't get this this morning, then your praise is what suffers as a result of it. So, Father, I'm praying this morning that for your great name's sake, for your praise's sake, Lord, that you would open this word to us. I don't want them to hear my voice. I don't want this to be some fancy sermon that everybody goes home and, sh and, and, and said was so good, but then it never changes them. Father, I want this to penetrate hearts this morning, and I want your word to do what it does best, transform. So, Father, I pray this morning that you cause your word to accomplish its purpose. And, Lord, I trust that you're going to do that. So, Father, I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, the topic of my message is called Increasing Thanksgiving to God's Glory. Increasing Thanksgiving to God's Glory. This week, y'all know, we celebrate Thanksgiving, and this is a day that uh, it, it started actually, some say, back with the pilgrims and the, the Indians and, and the first official one came when our Continental Congress decided that they were going to ask our nation to have a solemn day of thanksgiving and praise unto God. It was then handed on down as George Washington made a similar proclamation and, and recognized that everything we have comes from God. Even our breath itself comes from God. If it were not for God, we wouldn't have anything at all, not even life. And so he, he noticed that we needed a time to remember that, and he set aside a day for that, followed by Abraham Lincoln, who then made it a, um, a yearly thing instead of just a, a thing. He said every year we're going to have a day that recognizes that we owe our Creator thanks and praise for all that He is and for all that He has done for us. And so one of the things that Abraham Lincoln said in his proclamation, he said, It is mankind's indispensable duty to worship and adore the providence and the sovereignty of Almighty God. Now I want you to think about what he thought of when he put this day into place. He said, It is your indispensable duty. It's not something that... Um, that, that we should um, have to force ourselves to do. 
but it is something that ought to be so heavy on our hearts and we ought to have our eyes open up to recognize that we are nothing without the Creator. And if we could ever see that, then we would understand that it is our indispensable duty to worship and adore the providence of God, the way that He takes care of His people, the way that not even a sparrow falls from the sky apart from His will. The providence of Almighty God to worship and adore the sovereignty of Almighty God. The fact that everything that has ever took place in your life, both good and, your, good and bad, was ordained by the hand of God. And we'll get to that here in just a little bit. In um, Isaiah 43 verse 7, Isaiah actually told us that this is the ultimate reason why we were created. He said, everyone who is called by my name, he said, I created them for my glory. The whole reason you were created was for the glory of God, was so that people could look at you and look at your life and they could see the love of God, they could see the mercy of God, they could see the kindness of God, they could see the compassion of God, they could see all of the attributes that make up the character of God. Those things are His glory. All of His many perfections are His glory. And you were created, you were formed for the glory of God. He formed you, He made you to be a reflection of that. As you all know, in the garden, here's what we did. We said, God, I know you don't want us to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because right now, if we don't eat from it, we have to depend solely on you to make our decisions. And for every step, both right and wrong, we have to follow you and trust you. But you know what, God? We don't want to do that anymore. Instead, I want to decide for myself what is right and wrong. And so I eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil so that I can make my own choices. Anybody recognize that in your life? And the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of what? The glory of God. What you were created for, what you were formed for, what you were made for, we have fallen short of that, but it is our indispensable duty to do this. But we have chosen that instead of following and living for His glory, we want to live for ourselves. And then in Isaiah 43, verse 21, the same chapter, in verse 21 He says, I formed them myself that they might declare my praise. Look at that. The people whom I formed for myself, I formed them that they might declare my praise. Now a lot of people would look at this, and i gotta, I got to say this, even though many of you have heard it before, because I don't want you to get a false view of God here. A lot of people will look at this and go, well, well God must be conceited. God must think a lot of Himself. You know what the answer to that is? He does. He thinks a whole lot of himself. But you want to know what? He's not conceited. Now it would be conceited if you and I felt this way because we are fallible. But here's the thing that conceited means. It means to have a very high view or a very high opinion of oneself. God has a very high view, but it's not an opinion. It's a fact. The reason God can do this and He not be conceited is because God is not, uh, He doesn't have too high a view for Himself. He has a right view of Himself. 
God is worthy of all praise. He is worthy of all worship. He is the great I am. He is the beginning. He is the end. There has never been anything before Him, nor will there ever be anything after Him. And because of all of those things and many, many more, God is worthy of all of our praise and He is right to create you for His praise sake and for His name's sake. But we have fallen short of that. Here's what he tells us here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse... Um, I didn't give Nathan this one, I'm just going to read it to you. In verse 3, the Apostle Paul said, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And the reason they're perishing is because they refuse to live for the glory of God, but instead they live for themselves. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. And when he says the God of this world, he's talking about Satan. He's talking about the prince of the power of this air. And he says the, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. The whole purpose behind sending Jesus Christ in the flesh is so that you could see His life and see what you were created to be, but to actually see somebody live it out. And Jesus lives this out, and He brings glory and honor and praise to God, and He walks in every step with God. But yet we are blinded from this, and we're not able to see it. So it is impossible until our blinded eyes are opened to really give any true praise. Until we can actually see our purpose, until we can actually see what it looks like, there is no way we can actually live it out. And so without the gospel, we cannot be transformed to do what we were created to do. Think about it like this. This morning there are a lot of us, and I'm guilty of it some Sunday mornings, I'm not going to lie, but this Sunday morning there were a lot of us that are just guilty of just going through the motions. There's not any real true thanksgiving in your heart. There's not any real genuine uh, sincerity when it comes to singing these songs or you hear something, a message in the song and, and you say the words and you sing the song, but the truth of the matter is there's no real heartfelt thanksgiving behind it. And so Paul says that he wants to increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. And that's our goal this morning is to increase your thanksgiving so that it's not just going through the motions. Uh, yesterday we had a birthday party for, um, for Austin. And um, ever since he was little, anybody that's a parent, you'll know that um, gratitude is not something that just comes natural. Matter of fact, uh, Miss Patty this morning, she walked over here to him and she wanted to give him a little something for his birthday and she gave it to him. And, um, and normally, most kids that are old enough to know what it means would have looked at it and went, oh, thank you so much. But instead, he just took it and he grabbed it and he put it in his pocket and then he just turned around and went back to playing. And what do you think I said to him? Tell her thank you. Or what do you say? Because I have to teach him, I have to train him that there is a gratitude that should come when we receive a gift. But unfortunately, 
He's not able to see that yet. He's not able to see that this gift that came to him is worthy of gratitude. And so I have to make him go through the motions just so he's just not flat out rude. But that's not my goal. My goal is that one day he will see that when somebody gives him a special gift, it should naturally create a gratitude in his heart that says out of genuineness, thank you, thank you. And so that's what Paul wants us to have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants your eyes to be opened up so that thanksgiving increases and it's not just something that you do that you go through the motions. He wants you to understand that this is something that requires some, some work on both God's part and your part. It requires work on God's part because ultimately it's a work of God in your heart. And until that takes place, you can't do anything. But then it takes some work on your part as you grow in your faith and you grow in your knowledge. And we're going to look at both of those this morning. True thanksgiving is seeing all of God's perfections and being able to literally cry out just like the angels did in Isaiah chapter 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. Now I want you to take you back to that scripture for just a minute. In Isaiah chapter 6, and you don't have to go there, here's the picture you have. You have God sitting on His throne in all of His glory. And then you have these um, seraphim on each side of Him. All right. Now when I say seraphim, I'm, I'm not talking about um, valentine angels. I'm not talking about the little angels that you see with the little bows and the little chubby fellas up there trying to shoot. Seraphim, they say, were massive burning creatures. That's literally, the literal translation for that is the burning ones. They are literally constantly on fire for the glory of God. And so here they are, they're sitting on each side of the throne, and the Bible says they cry to one another 24 hours a day if there is time, which I don't believe there is where they're at, but they nonstop from everlasting to everlasting, they cry to one another. And here's what they say. They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Here's what the angels are able to see that we're not. They're able to look at all of this creation. And they're able to look at the glory of God and all that He has done in salvation of man, in, in, in the providence of God, and the sovereignty of God, and how He rules over everything, and, and, and how every star is in its place, and He calls them all by name. And then the angels look at all of this and the only thing that they can do, this is not a song book. The angels didn't pick up a hymn book and go, okay, turn to page 156. Okay, now we're going to sing back and forth to each other. Holy, holy, holy. That's not the way this went. This was not a going through the motions kind of praise. This was not a going through the motions kind of worship. This was a literally, I see God in who He is. And the only thing that I can say is holy. The word holy literally means to be completely set apart. 
Here's the simple layman's definition of it. There is nothing and there is no one like this God. I've never seen anything like Him. There is nothing like Him. To what can we compare Him to? And the angels say nothing. The only thing we can say is holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of His glory. Everything we look at, we see the glory of God. And so I want to be able to have that kind of thanksgiving. See, I, I want you to celebrate when we, when we sit down with our families this Thursday. But ultimately, I want this to be a day-by-day -day thing. We need a memorial day, no doubt about it. We need a day of thanksgiving that calls us back to things like this and opens our eyes and our minds to reel us back in to remind us that God is worthy of more than our motions. But there ought to be genuine, heartfelt thanksgiving if our eyes are not blinded and if we're able to see God for all that He is and all that He has done for us. So this morning, let's answer this question. How do we increase genuine thanksgiving to God's glory? How do we do that? Well, Paul gives us some answers here. And um, let's read verses, uh, let's read 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 4 again, go through verse 6. He says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So we are blind to God's glory. We can't see it because the only thing we can see is ourselves. I don't want to get too far away because uh, I'll get off track and chase a rabbit, but I, I, I want you to think about this because it's something that you, you especially you that have ever ha had babies, you, you know this. <laughs> she don't even know what I'm going to say. Yeah, amen. <laughs> I like you, girl. I like that. She's just saying, hey, I, I, I agree with him. All right. Here's what you got. I remember when Malin was first born, little bitty thing. And I can remember one day she, uh, I think she was coming to her Mimi and Paul's house or something, but Kanitha took her out of the car, and I think she literally saw the sun for the first time in her life. Because when Kanitha took her out of the car, and we were walking, they were in another house, and I walked outside, and, uh, and we saw her getting her out of the driveway, she took her out, and all of a sudden she was just like, and her eyes were so big and she was just so excited and she couldn't believe what she was seeing. And it was like she looked at all of the sun and all of its glory and she just, she couldn't fathom what that was. What is happening here? What is that? And see, here's the thing about it. Babies have something that we don't have. When they open their eyes for the first time and they see all this, they know one thing. This is not normal. See, we've been living here and doing this for so long that we've come to think that this is just normal. I know you've heard me say this before, but I want to remind you of it. Listen, right now you are sitting on a giant blue ball traveling at a thousand miles per hour that is attached to nothing. God asked Job, when Job was questioning God if he knew what he was doing and running this world, God said, Job... I want to ask you a question. What is the earth's foundations attached to? What holds it in place? God actually asked Job that. Now Job don't give him an answer, and you know why? Because <laughs> Job don't know. 
But here's the thing that we need to understand. This is not normal. Right now in your pew where you're sitting, you are sitting on a giant blue ball that is hanging by nothing but the power of God's Word, traveling at a thousand miles an hour in a circle. Why we ain't dizzy, I don't know. Traveling at a thousand miles per hour in a circle, and you're sitting here this morning like, oh, this is just normal. I'm just sitting on my giant blue ball traveling at a thousand miles an hour, just doing my thing. No, you're not. I want to go back to that day where my eyes were open and where all I could do was look around and see that, God, you are something else. You're a step above. (laughs) You're many steps above. And the only thing I even know to say is holy, holy, holy. All of creation is filled with your glory. But not just the creation is what Paul focuses on. He said the creation's good. Creation's good. But here's what's even better. In verse uh, 5, he says, For we proclaim, not ourselves, but we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So he shares the gospel. And then in verse 6, he says, here's what happens. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I love this right here. See, here's one of the things that we need to understand. Even though we are blind to God's glory because of our sin, even though we're blind to that, through the work of God's Spirit, and the proclaiming of the gospel, we can have our eyes opened and our hearts opened so to the point that, that we can give God the thanksgiving that He deserves. But here's the first thing that's got to take place. The first thing that's got to happen is a supernatural work. And here's my prayer for you and my prayer for me this morning. It says, The same God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts. Here's what Paul's saying. Here's how I get it. Here's the reason why I praise the way that I do. Here's the reason why I'm able to live the way that I am and worship the way that I do. It's because God, the same way in Genesis that He said, let light shine out of darkness. And how many know what happened when God said, let there be light? Did the light have anything to do with that? All it did was came into being, right? So there's a supernatural work that has to take place here. It says that same God who said, let light shine in darkness, is the same God who has said to Paul, let light shine on your heart. See Jesus Christ. See the gospel. Have your eyes opened up to this. See, here's the problem. I think that a lot of us today, maybe even many of us sitting in this room right here, have never had that experience. I really do. And my prayer is that as you read and you hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that something happens in you. That God literally says, let there be light. Do you remember that moment in your life? I do. I remember that moment in my life when I was sitting in the corner of my bedroom crying like a baby. And I can remember when God said, let there be light. And I can remember when light came. But you know what I did the next day? 
I got up and went to work because I said, God, I see what you have done for me. I was your enemy. And you gave your son to forgive me. And I got up the next day and I went to my work because at that time I was a Christian. Oh, I was going to church. I was singing. I was leading the, leading the praise team at that time. Um, I was a, a, I was prayer warrior. I was even preaching just a little bit during that time. But God had never said, let there be light. But when that happened in my life, I got up the next day and God said, listen, go back to your work and you go to every one of these people and you tell them that you need their forgiveness for acting like somebody that you were not. And I can remember, I told God, I said, but God, listen, I've only got two weeks left at this place because this place was closing down where I was working. There were hundreds that worked there. I said, God, I've only got two weeks left. All I've got to do, if you'll just let me get to this other place, I'll start all over and I'll get it right. And God said, do you believe it or do you not believe what I've done for you? If you believe it, why wait two weeks? There are people right here, right now, that need to hear what I have done in your life. And I went that next morning, and I went to every single person in that place. Some of you are in this building right here today. I went to every person in that place and told them. I asked them for their forgiveness, and I said, listen, I've been acting like somebody that I'm not. Will you please forgive me? Let me tell you what God has done for me. And then I invited all of them to come to church next Sunday because I was going to stand and give my testimony and let people know what God has done. And then I didn't think none of them would show up, but you know what happened that Sunday morning? I looked up, and man, here come half of my work crew coming into church. I mean, that, that place was flooded that morning with people from, from, from my work. And they came in there, all these people that knew me. They knew me. Y'all you, you, hear what I'm saying? They knew me. See, truth of the matter is, I don't know most of y'all. Ain't that right? I don't know most of you, but the ones that work with you every day, they know you, don't they? They know you. The ones that live with you every day, they know you. Well, these people knew me, and they showed up with me that Sunday morning, and I gave my testimony, and I told them what God had done in my life, and I'm telling you, I can remember the moment that God said, let light shine. I want to know if you had that moment. Because here's the only way that you can increase thanksgiving to God. You have to believe the gospel, and then it has to be a belief that has been so supernatural inside of you that it leads you to speak it. Go with me down to verse, um, verse 13 again. Look what he says in verse 13 through 15. He says, since we have the same spirit of faith. Remember, Paul said, my eyes have been opened. God has said, let there be light, and there has been light. I have this treasure in a, in a jar of clay. And then he says, and listen, I have a same spirit of faith that the psalmist had. And if you want to see this, you could go back to Psalm 116, verse 10. This is where he gets it from. But the psalmist said, I believed. And what did he do? I believed. And because I believed, what happened? So I spoke. This is the spirit of faith that I have. And then he says, so because we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and so we also speak. And then here's why he speaks. Go on to verse 14. Because I know that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his 
presence. I believe it with all my heart. It's not just a good story. See, here's the problem. For a lot of you, us, I'm not going to say you because I don't know you, but for a lot of us and for me at one time in my life, the gospel was a good story. It really was. I liked it. And I, and I wanted to believe it. I really did. But I knew whether or not I believed it or not. You hear Nick say it all the time. You can tell me what you believe all you want, but he knows what I believe by the way I live. It's what I do. Here's the thing about it. The gospel sounds so good to many of us. It really does. But the truth of the matter is, there's many of us that don't believe it enough to do anything with it. You know, when God came to Noah and said, I'm going to flood the earth, but if, if you trust me, I'm going to save you. So here's what I need you to do. Go build an ark. Suppose Noah had to look at God and say, God, I believe you, and that sounds good. That salvation sounds awesome. But then he never, never built an ark, never moved. Did he believe? No, he didn't believe. And so here's the way that you're going to increase Thanksgiving in your life. First off, you need to be asking and praying, God, God, the same way that you said let light shine in darkness, God, that's what I need in my heart. It's time that you get to a point to where you say, God, I don't want to play games anymore. I don't. I don't think any of you in here, I don't think nobody likes playing the game. Nobody. So my genuine cry and if, it were, if I were in your shoes, I would be saying the same thing. God, the first thing I want is I want to have that happen to me. I want to be sitting in a corner somewhere when you say, let there be light. And if you say, let there be light, what's going to happen? See, here's the thing about it. You've got to remember something. This is God's work. The only thing you've done is heard the gospel. That's it. And the only thing you're asking God to do is, God, I just need you to do one thing. If you'll just say, let there be light, there'll be light. And then I'll have that same spirit of faith. And so I believe, and so I will speak. And because I speak, look what happens. Keep reading with me in verse 15. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends, or what does he mean by grace extending? I, I believe, so I... More people hear it. So as grace extends and more people hear it, he says, as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Because the true glory of God is not just seen in the creation. The true glory of God is seen when God saves sinners. People that are His enemies. When He comes in and He saves their souls, let me tell you something. When God says, let there be light, there will be thanksgiving that is not going through the motions. It won't be no motions. It'll be genuine. God, thank you. Thank you for what you have done in my life. And that can only take place by God touching your heart and saying, let there be light. So that's my prayer for you today, and I hope that you get that. I got one more thing left, and that's it. For those of you in my Wednesday night class, listen to me. The hermeneutics in this thing, good gracious. I mean, I had list after list after list trying to figure out which way to go and which direction to go. The things that you can learn from this, but I'm only going to point out two. The second thing that I want to show you that Paul says will increase thanksgiving to God's glory comes from verse 16. 
He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. We don't lose heart. Here's what he's getting at. It's easy to praise God when God says, let there be light. But then what happens when the days come along that afflictions come? And we know that he's talking about afflictions. Look what he says next. He says, though our outer self is wasting away, he's not just talking about death because look, go back to that next one you had there. He's not just talking about death because then look what he says. For this light momentary what? Affliction is preparing for us an eternal way to glory beyond all comparison. When he says that we are wasting away but we don't lose heart, he's talking about all the things that come your way. He just talked about them earlier when he said, listen, uh, um, we're pressed hard, but we're not crushed. <laughs> we're perplexed, but we're not in despair. In other words, God allows afflictions to come our way, but he don't allow them to crush us. He allows things to come our way, but he does not allow our faith and our hearts to be destroyed. And so we have to make sure that if we're going to increase thanksgiving unto God, that we have to teach our hearts to be thankful in all circumstances. See, here's the thing about it. I'm, I'm celebrating our first holidays without my dad. First one. You know, I've never, um, never really had to um, experience this uh, in family-wise as far as us. Uh, the, the only one that I remember um, losing that I was very, very close to was my great-grandmother. I've lost my, some other grandparents, and, and it hurt, but I wasn't that close to them. And so this Thanksgiving and this Christmas will be the first one that I've ever spent to where I walk in and I see, I've seen some posts from people on Facebook about coming in and seeing uh, Dad's empty chair. Well, you know, and that's something that we're going to have to deal with this Thanksgiving. So the truth of the matter is, for my family, it's going to be hard this Thanksgiving for us to go in and say, well, today's the day that we should be thankful. Because how many of you know there are days that you don't feel thankful? There are days that you don't know why to give thanks. But see, if you're going to teach your heart how to give thanks in all circumstances, then you're going to have to understand that God does allow us to be hard-pressed, but He don't allow us to be crushed. He allows us to be perplexed, but He doesn't allow us to be in despair. He allows us to be persecuted, but He don't allow us to be forsaken. And all of these things that God allows, He allows for our good and for His glory. And so we've got to teach ourselves these things that even though God allows us to be afflicted in so many ways, He is not going to allow us to be destroyed. But instead, we still know that if God raised Jesus from the dead, and we know He did, He's going to give us new life too. And so no matter what happens in this life, I will always have hope. Let's look at um, one quick example of what Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 27. Paul gives you an example of some of the afflictions that he dealt with. Verse 23, look what he says. He says, Are, the, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors. I have far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. In other words, five times he received 39 stripes with the, with the lashes. 
Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and danger from rivers and danger from robbers, dangers from my own people. You can go through and read all the rest of those. Here's the point that I'm trying to make. The truth of the matter is, when we look at our afflictions, if Paul understood and he knew and he had taught himself that his afflictions are momentary and they are light, this is what Paul considered light affliction. Now you want to tell me one more time about your affliction? You know, don't get me wrong, I, I understand, because when I'm in my affliction, I'm the same way. I think, man, this is the worst thing, and I'm so, uh, but the truth of the matter is, let's just be honest. <laughs> Most of our afflictions don't even come close. But yet, Paul looked at all of his, and he said, here's one thing I know. All of my afflictions are momentary, temporary. They're not going to last, and they're they don't even amount to anything. But he goes on in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, I believe it is. He says, Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed. And in verse 17 he says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, because we look to the things that are seen, not to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So he knows that a true believer, if he will quit focusing on the temporary, momentary, light afflictions, and if he will focus on the eternal and on the promises of God that if he, and the one that Paul draws to mind is that, hey, he raised Jesus from the dead. He's going to do the same thing for me. <laughs> so I'm not focusing on this momentary light stuff, but instead I'm going to put my focus on the promise of God. And because God said it, I believe it. And because of that, he says, even though my outer self is wasting away because of the afflictions, my inner self is renewed day by day. You know how it's renewed day by day? He's looking at those promises of God day by day. Every day he's claiming the promises of God. Every affliction he goes through, he claims the promise of God. When he walks in and he looks at dad's empty chair, he claims the promise of God. This is momentary. This is light. It's going to be all right. Because he said it's going to be all right. And then when you can do that, you can increase genuine thanksgiving in your life so that even if it's in your tears, it's still genuine thanksgiving. And so you're renewed day by day. I don't have time to go through the other ones that I want to get to, so I'm not going to do it this morning. I want to close with this right here. This holiday that is meant to cause us to remember Thanksgiving is going to be hard for a lot of us, for a lot of people. It is. But here's what I want you to think about. There are going to be some people that are sitting in there with like, like us and looking at Dad's empty chair. It's going to be a hard, hard day. There are going to be some people that 
have lost brothers, it's going to be a hard day. It's going to be a hard time. There are going to be other people that have had cancer diagnosis. It's going to be a hard day. It's going to be a hard time. There are going to be others that are sitting in houses with broken families. It's going to be a hard day. It's going to be a hard time. There are going to be others that are going to be uh, sitting there in trials that, that, that nobody else knows about and darknesses in their own mind that they can't even get through. And now here's what Paul would tell you today. It's momentary and it's light. And then here's what we would say back to Paul. <laughs> you don't get it. It ain't momentary, it ain't light. So I'll take you back to Luke chapter 17. We're not going to go there. I'll tell you the story. You should remember it well. Jesus told his disciples, he said, Guys, listen, it's impossible for offenses not to come. They're going to come and you're going to be offended. But here's what I want to say to you. When your brother offends you, if he comes back to you and he says to you, Forgive me. I'm so sorry for what I've done. You forgive him. And then he moves on, he says, and if he does it seven times, the same thing in the same day, and comes back to you seven times and says, please forgive me, you know what you're to do? And you know what the disciples' next response was? Y'all go back and read it for yourself. It's in Luke chapter 17, the first six or seven verses. After that, the disciples looked around and they said, Lord, increase our faith. Now, put this in your mind. Here's the way it went. Picture this. You got Jesus standing here and he's talking to his disciples, okay? And he says, hey guys, people are going to offend you. But if your brother comes back to you and, he's, and he repents and he says, forgive me, then, then you forgive him. They look at each other and they sit here for a minute and they say, okay, so somebody made me mad. If he comes back and he does this, then I'll forgive him. And they turn around, they look at Jesus and say, okay, we, we can do that. We, we can do that. Jesus said, okay, let's go just a little bit further. If your brother does the same thing seven times, and how many of you have been mad at somebody before? I mean, so mad you could spit. And if he does it seven times in the same day, and he comes back and he says, forgive me, I repent, forgive me, you forgive him seven times in that day. And the disciples, they look at each other and they talk back and forth and they say, okay, one, two, forgive him, two, three, four, five, six. And they turn back around, they look at Jesus and say, Lord, we're going to need more faith. <laughs> Here's what I'm saying to you. What God is asking you to do is impossible for you. And so you've got two prayers this morning that you need to be praying. For some of you, you need to be praying, Lord, I need light to shine in darkness. Because my thankfulness ain't genuine. It's not. But I want it to be. So will you say, let there be light? Because if you'll say, let there be light, I know there'll be light. That's one prayer. Another prayer ought to be, Lord, I, I, I'm going to need more faith. I'm going to need more faith, Lord, because you're telling me to be thankful in my circumstances that, that I'm hurting and that 
that I don't know what all is going to take place and, and I don't know how to deal with this and I don't know how to get through this and I don't know how, how to be thankful during, during this time. So, so God, you're telling me to do something that I don't know how to do and the truth of the matter is I don't think I can do it. And so, Lord, I'm going to need you to increase my faith. And then Jesus comes on the scene next in the next verse of Luke chapter 17. He tells them a story. He said, listen, if you had the faith of just a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be removed and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now here's what Jesus is trying to get across to them. Yes, this is something that you can't do without faith. You can't. But if you just have a little bit of faith, just a little bit, you can move mountains. You can do so much more with just a little bit of faith than what you think you can do. I pray this morning that this Thanksgiving puts you in a place to remind you that I have every reason to be thankful, that I have promises from God that are indisputable, and that will come to pass, and I'm claiming them. He has said, let light shine in darkness, and the light has shone, and I have every reason to be thankful. And then I pray that whenever you are tossed because of your afflictions, and you see your outer self wasting away, I pray that your inner self is renewed day by day, even if it means your prayer has to be, Lord, I'm going to need a little more faith today. But if you give me just enough of the mustard seed, I can move this mountain. And I know I can. Let's increase thanksgiving to the glory of God because he is worthy. And it is up to us to give him what he is due. If y'all would stand this morning. Whatever God has laid on your heart, this ain't my word. This ain't about me trying to make you feel anything. But as the musicians come, you ain't even got to wait. I wonder if there's one person here this morning that would be bold enough to step out and take me by the hand and say, Pastor, I have never had that experience in my life to where I heard God say, let there be light. And there was light. You're talking to me this morning. I wonder if there's one that would reach out and take me or Nick by the hand and say that. Say, Pastor, that's me. And I want that in my life. If that's you this morning, I'm praying that this morning is the morning that you step out and you make that this day. If today is the day that you need to humble yourself down and say, Lord, I'm going to need more faith. I pray today is the day that you do that. The glory of God is at stake. The praise of His name is at stake. Your salvation is at stake. Whatever you need this morning, would you come? Now's the time.